I'm Joe Bishop. I'm, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I was raised in this church. <laughs> Control myself a little bit here. I still love this church. And today I get to speak to you about Nehemiah 8. And it's uh, open up your Bibles to Nehemiah 8. Uh, while you're getting there, I, I don't want it, to. Nehemiah is one of my favorite books, Ezra and Nehemiah, because they tell about the revival of a nation. And they bring out the book. And I'm a Bible guy. I love it. So uh, before we get started, I need to say a prayer about this. Let me pray about this. Lord, help me to keep my notes straight. Help me to speak plainly and not mumble. And above all, Lord, I want to make you look great. Amen. So if you've got your Bibles open to Nehemiah, I've got to get mine open here. Nehemiah chapter 8. It starts off, some of your Bibles start off in this section in the last half of the, the verse uh, from the preceding chapter. But I'm going to start off in 8.1, just kind of jump into it. It starts off uh, in 8.1. And I, 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 let me back up a little bit. I'm going to tell you about four things that are really important to me. First thing right here, we're going to talk about four divisions. One of them is uh, bring out the book. Bring out the worship. And then bring out the joy. And then we're going to bring out the message. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about four things right here. Four divisions. And the first division is in uh, Nehemiah 8. It's chapters, chapter 8, verses 1, 2, and 3. Is bring out the book. And it starts off... All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. And what we're getting, getting to see right here is a sneak peek. It's kind of a preview into the early stages of a spiritual renewal. And this spiritual renewal started back in Nehemiah chapter 1. When Nehemiah prayed... Spiritual renewals always start with prayer. And they'll only last as long as people are praying. And the spiritual renewal starts when Ezra prayed, I mean Nehemiah prayed, and it's, it's picking up here in, in Ezra, excuse me, boy, Nehemiah chapter 8. Uh, we're getting a sneak peek. There, there's a few things to notice. There's unity. It says all the people came together as one. There's unity in the group. And there are families here. You see, there's men, there's women, and there's all who could understand. I think the all who could understand is referring to children, those that are old enough to understand what's going on. And then there is something else. There's the book of the law. And, and uh, if you're new to church... 
Let me define this for you. We call it the book. We call it the book of the law. We call it the book of the law of Moses. We call it the word. We call it scripture, holy scripture, Bible, holy Bible. Uh, We call it the gospel. Most of the time, these mean the same thing. Most of the time. The name's not important. What is really important is what the book is. You see, it's inspired by God. It's written by men as God aided them along. And it's, all scripture is inspired by God. It's God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This book, I'm going to hold it up right here so I don't lose everything. It's the truth. It is the truth. Some of the things you may hear from your neighbors may not be true. Some of the things you hear on the news is not true. (laughs) A lot of stuff on the internet, kind of iffy. This, this is true. And there's something else about it. It's all about Jesus. Every bit of it. Jesus said something to, to uh, two men who were walking along, along the road. And they were questioning what was going on after the crucifixion. And he told them, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. It's all about Jesus. All of it is. So these people have gathered at a set time, at a set place, with a purpose. They want to hear from God. They're, they're kind of like newborn babes that are craving pure spiritual milk so that they can grow in their salvation. They're here to hear from, from God. Let me ask you, I've got a fair question for you. Do you have a set time, a set place, a set plan to meet with God? It's a fair question, and I'm I'm serious about it. Do you have this time? Do you have a place? And, And I'm not talking about just reading Scripture. There's more to it than just reading Scripture. Reading Scripture is important. But after that... You need to memorize scripture because the devil is like a a a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And you are fresh meat. What are you going to hit him with if you don't have the word? (laughs) Microphone won't work. (laughs) It's not tough enough. You got to have the word. The devil is a thousand times smarter than you. And the only hope you have to make a stand is have the armor of God, have the spirit, have the the sword of the spirit here to hit at him with. That's your only hope. And then after you've read the Bible and 
memorize scripture, then you need to meditate on scripture. You need to meditate on scripture because that's what you're going to need in the, in the night when you can't sleep. That's what you're going to need when you get that phone call. That phone call that you didn't want to get. That phone call that says it's all over. When you can meditate on scripture, you can look back and you say, you can say, God's been good to us. And then after you've read scripture, you've memorized scripture, meditate on scripture, then you can pray scripture. If you want to know that your prayers are going to be answered, pray back God's word to him. Everything he sends out, it's going to accomplish the purpose for which he sent it. So in verse 3, the people are listening attentively. It was really important to them. Will it be important to you? Will you bring out the book? All of us have some habits. And all of us have some room for improvement. And I'm not saying you have bad habits. You may have all good habits. But let me suggest something. You can put in a better habit. Bring out the book. Now, I'm going to go on to the second section. The second section is talking about bringing out the worship. And uh, it, bring out the worship, it, it's verses 4 through 8. Uh, let me read this to you here. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Manathai, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Malachi, Jehashim, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshalom. Ezra opened the book. You wanted to read those words yourself. I know you did. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. And then they bowed down. And worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, here's some more words for you. Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Achab, Shabbatai, Hodai, Maaseah, Kalita, Azariah, Jezebad, Hanan, and Peliah. Instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law, making it clear. And giving the meaning so the people understood what was being read. I want you to note something about the posture of the people. They stood up. They raised their hands. They bowed down. And they worshipped. They were hearing the word. It was important to them. Their posture indicated their attitude. You can tell something about a teenager's attitude from their posture. You can tell something about an 80-year-old's attitude 
from their posture. These folks had their posture showed that they were paying attention. And they were interested. So the Revites, excuse me, the Levites read from the book. We don't know exactly what they read. If we did, Nehemiah would be a much longer book. Because they read for about five hours. Maybe six hours. But verse 8 says, they understood the reading. It was not just head knowledge that they gained. Their hearts were touched. These men, women, and children heard. And I think they bowed down. Not just at the beginning. I think they bowed down early and often. They were praising God that they now understood. These amens that came out, they understood because they now knew who they were worshiping. They had a better idea of who, the, who he was. Who, and you know what? You know, they didn't know it yet, but it's all about Jesus. So, for me, I look forward to a day, still future something to us. And the Bible talks about it, a day when there will be people from every nation. Every nation, every tongue, every tribe. And we'll all be gathered around the throne of Jesus. And we will be worshiping. And I wish that y'all, you, that you, I wish all of you could be there with me. I hope you'll all be there with me. I hope you are. If not, then today's the day to make your reservation. Okay, going on to section three. We're going to talk about bringing out joy. Bringing out joy. In uh, nine through twelve, we got a, a time where they're. <laughs> they're, they're carrying their worship to a different level. It starts off here. Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink and to send portions of food and to Celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. If you notice in verse 9, the people are weeping. I think they were weeping as they listened to the words of the law because they realized how far they had fallen. And it's a bad situation. That they were, had dishonored a holy God. That they were sinners. 
So these people were told not to weep anymore. But instead, they were told to celebrate. Celebrate because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, I, I, I don't know if you noticed it. That was, that was included in one of the songs. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The leaders say, we're, we're telling the folks, this day is holy. Now, this day that they're talking about is it roughly, this, in this, our calendar year, it corresponded to October 8th, 2019. So just, we're just past that time. This day is a holy day to them. And the leaders were, were telling them what we do at feasts, at festivals. This was a time where they're going to go out and feast and they're going to celebrate. Not just celebrate with each other, but celebrate with God. And they're going to do it with great joy. And there is great joy when, when the bad news becomes the good news. You, you know, when you finally realize where you are and you finally accept the good news, it will change your life and you'll get joy. And they realize that uh, God has not looked at their sins and rejected them. They realize that God is merciful and he's ready to forgive. So these feasts that he's talk, tell, they're telling them to go to, this is a feast. It's an invitation for them to eat and drink with each other and with God. And this eating and drinking would help them to remember what God had done for them. It's a tangible way of partaking of the grace of God. You can say, wow, we get this good stuff to eat. Isn't God good? And it's kind of like the Lord's Supper. We call it the Lord's Supper, communion, various names. It's a time where we get to Share the bread, drink the juice, and celebrate what Jesus has done for us. That his broken body paid for our sins. His blood covers my sins. It's, it's a time to celebrate. It, if you want to be somber at it, that's okay. But I want to celebrate. It's a celebration to me. Now, I'm going to cut a line out here. I've got to cut a line. I'll just throw it in here. I'm going to cut it in here. I could be wrong. I think it's a time of celebration. I may be wrong, but if you're going to correct me, I'm asking that you have a verse, not a tradition. I've got a verse. Luke 22 50, 15 says, Jesus is speaking to the disciples before the Last Supper. He said, I eagerly desire to eat this with you before I suffer. You don't eagerly desire to do things in a somber situation. He's looking forward to a time where he's 
He's going to pay for them. So Jesus was looking ahead. At one time, he was looking ahead to the Last Supper with them. He's looking ahead to the last to eating again with us. And he's looking at all, all of it. In, in that day, he was looking at it for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. And Jesus is looking forward to the day when he could eat it with all of us. Okay, I'm going to go to section four. This is bring out the message. <laughs> this is fun. <laughs> this part is because Chad mentioned the other day, we, we're in a Bible study group. It's, it's the, the time the guys get to pull out hair. This is my part right here. <laughs> I want you to note the change. Look in verse 13. Uh, there's a date change. It says, uh, on the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and Levites, gathered around Ezra, the teacher, to give attention to the words of the law. It's day two. Everything else before this is day one. This is day two. And there's a different group. It's not men, women, and those who could understand. It's the heads of the family. They're there for a reason. Men, I want to talk to you. This is for the men. If you don't lead your family, Satan will. That's the story from Genesis 3. They probably heard about Genesis 3, about the sin and the curse. You know what Adam was doing there? Eve was over there having a discussion with Satan. Adam's looking around, passive, unengaged. He's a do-nothing. Guys, that ain't good enough. He didn't step forward and tell Satan, you don't talk to her. You're misquoting the Bible. You're misquoting what God said. He should have said something, but he did not. If you don't step forward, Satan's going to lead your family. And Satan wants to kill your family. Satan's going to find a way to keep you from leading your family. I know you've got to have a job. I know that. You've got to have a job to pay your bills, and your job kind of needs you. But your family needs you more. And sure, you may have a nice hobby. It may be fun. It may be interesting. It may be great. But your family needs you more. You may have some great toys. You may have the best video games. I'm sorry, you do. You may have the best four-wheelers. You may have the best bass boats. But someday, that stuff is going to wear out. And when you look around, you may find that your family is a shambles because Satan has distracted you. Men, 
Are you willing to lead your family to the book, to worship, to joy, to a message, to actually seeking God for their lives? If you don't, if you don't, Satan will take over. And Satan will come to kill, steal, and destroy. He's not a nice guy. Now, these men in verse 8. No, verse 13, excuse me. Verse 13. They came back on the second day to give attention to the words of the law. They came back because the status quo wasn't good enough anymore. Doing it just like we've always done it. It's not good enough anymore. It wasn't good enough for them. They, looked, they could look around town and see a new wall that wasn't there three months ago. Their security that wasn't there three months ago. And they're, they're hearing the words of the law here. And they're saying, we've got to change things. The status quo is not good enough. The status quo is not good enough here either. Men, you need to be involved in a men's group somewhere, somehow, some way. Somehow, you need to get together with men. Men sharpen men. That kid down the street that doesn't have a dad, you need to mentor that kid. Take him fishing. Show him how to change a tire. Do something. For your Sunday school class, you need to read your lesson and be prepared to comment on it. Be ready to teach if you have to. What a novel idea to comment on your Sunday school lesson. Guys, there's, there's Awana kids that come here. There's Vacation Bible School kids that need a father figure. They, are, they don't know how to ask for it, but they need a father figure here. They need you. You got a big gym over here. Still paying on it. You need to have an upper basketball program. You need to be out there either as a coach and or to lead devotionals at halftime between games. That's how you can reach kids, not just from this church, but from the whole area. Men, you need to step up. These men, they found something to do. In verse 14 and 15, it says, uh, They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month. And that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem, go out in the hill country and bring back branches. Guys like projects. If you just tell them what to do hands-on, they can do it. 
So they get their orders. And the orders are simple. They're going to take their families. They're going to celebrate and worship God. They're going to do it because they're going to go out and build temporary shelters. If you've been driving around some of the storm area the last few weeks, it's like they had this feast they're talking about. There's limbs everywhere. And these folks used these limbs and they, they built temporary shelters. And they would live in these temporary shelters to help them remember a time when after they left Egypt on the way to the promised land, they lived in the wilderness for 40 years. And often they lived in these temporary shelters and they, they relied on God. God supplied them with manna, water. God supplied it all. They're going to live, they're, they're told to live in these temporary shelters and act like you really are dependent on God. Act like you mean it. They're going to live completely immersed in a new culture for a week, devoted to God, teaching, sharing, and worshiping. It's kind of like a command from Jesus. Did you know Jesus gave commands? He did. I'll sneak one in on you right here. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. It starts off uh, in 18. It says, uh, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and baptizing. Yeah, I've got to get it right. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Of all, thank you. <laughs> Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to, to obey all things that I have commanded you. And I'll be with you to the end of the age. Jesus gave a command. Just like these guys got a command. These guys got the command to go. Proclaim a word. Tell it out. Jesus gave you a command to go make disciples. You cannot make disciples unless you will speak to them. You must, to be a witness, you must be a speaker. You must tell them something. Or at least show them how to do something. To proclaim this, they had to tell. Uh, we're going to go to the hard part right now. I'm going to skip, skip out of... I'm going to come back to the Great Commission in a little bit. We're going to st step out of it and tell you why you need to be there. Steve, we're going to go to Hosea 4.6 here. This one hit me about two weeks ago. And it scared me reading this. This is the hardest part of the whole morning right here to me. It says, My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you as my priests. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I will also ignore your children. God is telling the people of Israel in Hosea, they would be destroyed 
because they didn't know. They chose not to know. They chose not to open up the book. And they rejected getting to know Jesus in the Bible. Remember I said this is all about Jesus? They rejected knowledge of Jesus. And there will come a time when Jesus will reject them. He will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. And that can be on your shoulders. I don't recommend it, but that's on your shoulders. But wait, there's more. The end of the verse says, because you ignored the word of your God, I will also ignore your children. Is that what you really want for your kids? To be ignored by God? Really? Bring out the book. Bring out worship. Bring out joy. Don't ignore it. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm going to go back to the, to the uh, Great Commission. Jesus gave a command. Jesus did not say to the people, I hope they come to church. He, these folks in, uh, as in Nehemiah's time, I hope people will do this festival, Leo. They weren't told to just bring them to church. They weren't told to just bring them to the festival. They weren't told, let the preacher or the priest do the talking. The command of Jesus to us. The command of the book to them is go and tell. Tell what God has done for you. Teach them to obey. Now, you may, you may think, I've got a loophole in here. I can get out of this. The Great Commission says to teach them all I have commanded you. And you may think, I don't have any Bible knowledge. I don't, I'm out. I don't have to do this. The guys in Nehemiah's time, they knew one thing, counting all of them. One thing. Go proclaim, bring in, bring in some brush. That's all they knew. And they went and did it. You have been told to go and tell. That's all you're responsible for. If you just know one thing, that's all you know. If you know two things, you're responsible for two things. But go and tell. God had helped these guys build a wall in 52 days. It's a miracle. So the people obeyed. And says their joy was just very great. Not just great. Not, not just joy. It was great joy. It was very great. Because they soaked up the word. So I've asked you to tell your story. 
Let me tell you my story. I grew up in this church. When I was about, uh, I don't know, some seven, nine, somewhere in there, I don't know when. We had a vacation Bible school, and, and there was three of us boys back there sitting in the back and had the invitation, and David Matthews came up first, and Timmy Tucker came up next, and I'm looking at the bench, and I'll go up too. I didn't really know what I was doing. So I kind of lived like that for a long time. Didn't really know what I was doing. Went to college, got married, married a sweet woman. And I thought, I knew what kind of church she had come from. I knew the church that I had come from. And I said, I, I probably know more about the Bible than she does. <laughs> and I did for a little while. <laughs> and then one day, somebody asked her to come to a Bible study. And they were studying Israel and the minor prophets, and it was tough stuff. And in about three weeks, she surpassed my Bible knowledge by a lot. And in about another three or four weeks, she said, I need a relationship with Jesus. And so this Bible study had a tract. And she asked for a tract. It's called a letter of assurance to help, you, help lead you to salvation. And it had literally just verses, just verse numbers, about 100 verses in there. And she was able to go through it once. And it led her to salvation. So here I am, not really sure about what I'm doing. And she's, she's a believer now. And she's growing every day. She's studying her Bible so the next year I went to this Bible study. It was, had women in one church, men in another church. And I went to it and we were studying Genesis. I, I, I had no trouble with creation. I understand. I know God created it. Had no trouble with sin. Yeah, I'm a sinner. Got to about Cain and Abel. That's about chapter four or five. And I realized... Who's my brother's keeper? Who's keeping me? I need somebody to keep me. I need a Jesus to keep me. So, didn't tell anybody, but I dug out her tract. A hundred verses. And I went, sat down and I went through them once. The second time. The third time, I went through a hundred verses. I went through them all. Maybe the fourth time it started clicking with me. It's not what I do. It's what Jesus has already done. And Jesus has paid for my sins. And I just, the only thing I've contributed, like the song said, the only thing I've contributed is the sin part. And Jesus saved me that day. I was about 34 years old. I was a deacon in this church. I was at Sunday school, and I was lost as a goose. That's my story, and I'm sticking with it. Jesus has changed me. So, what's your story? I would love to meet with you to hear 
your story. We all need to have a a story that we can tell to someone else. It doesn't have to always be a salvation story. I used to be a grape grower. Here's another story I got. You can share lots of stories. You can share the story. I used to be a grape grower, and I, I wanted to retire in 2018. I really wanted to. In 2015, I started praying about it. I said, God, you tell me when to quit, when, when to retire. And I said, here's going to be the sign, God. The day I can't sell all my shambles and grapes. That'll be the sign that you tell me you want me to retire. At that time, I was driving down the highway around Fayetteville hauling a load of grapes. And 10 seconds later, I mean not 15 seconds later, maybe 10 seconds later, I get a phone call. And the last people I I always sold the grapes to, they said, we don't want any grapes this year. God answered my prayer right then. I got stuck with several tons of grapes. That's okay. God answered my prayer. Got me out of the grape business. What's your story? It could be anything like that. We've got a dog. I'll tell you a story about that. (laughs) Tell a story. Go and tell. So I'm going to close with this. Everything that was written in the past was written to encourage us that through endurance and the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. And the only hope you're going to find is in this word.